we don't want to wait any longer because he is here and it's a busy week in Iowa City getting underway. Um, David Eicholt, who we've had a chance to have on a couple times here on the podcast during recent seasons. This is a matchup for whatever reason, continues to be a mainstay on both teams schedule. They're not in the same side of the, of the conference here in the Big Ten, but it works out that way. And it often seems to be a pretty darn big game. First top five matchup between uh, two Big Ten teams that doesn't involve Ohio State since 1997. That's a long time, folks. David, how are things going? Uh, the number three Iowa Hawkeyes under your spotlight up there. Yeah, yeah hey, good to be talking to you guys again. And you're exactly right. Uh, it really seems like both, every time these two teams match up, some big implications on the line outs. I mean, I, I, I scrapped last year just because it was a weird year for everybody, I think. You know, most outside experts, fans, everybody expected Penn State to bounce back the way they did. They have too much talent not to. But, I mean, then you go back to past years. Yeah, Penn State might have won. I think it was five or six straight. But, I mean, how many last-second thrillers, how many fourth-quarter, big fourth-quarter memorable performances? I mean, Saquon Barkley, you know, maybe outside the Christian McCaffrey Rose Bowl might be the most dominant single player I've I've seen in, in a game, what he did in Kinnick Stadium that night. So, you know, good to be talking to you guys. And, you know, I know you mentioned the uh, Ohio State's the first time since I think you said 1997. If you take out Michigan as well, it goes back to 1962. That's unbelievable. That's something, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just That's unbelievable. But luckily for us, Penn State, Iowa, they don't play too many boring games. So should be yeah. a good one on Saturday. Uh, what what is this Iowa team brought to the table so far? We Tyler and I were talking. It's kind of the same thing with Penn State is is you're undefeated. You're where you need to be. Um, but at the same time, everybody's trying to shoot holes in both teams' schedules to make them look like they're they're maybe not as good as, as people think they are. Um, how good is this Iowa team? What, what have you seen so far? You know, it is kind of funny. It, I mean, because I said at the beginning of the season that Iowa had the toughest opening two-game stretch in the country because what we thought Indiana was going to be and then traveling to Ames, Iowa, to take on an Iowa State team, who I still think is going to win nine games or so. I mean, I think they have too much talent not to. Um, but I think the reality is it's, it's pretty obvious with Iowa. It's the offense. It's the offensive question marks. I think Iowa's special teams and defense are near the top in the country. I mean, what Iowa's secondary is doing is absolutely ridiculous. I had a cover three podcast host and 24 seven sports is Bud Elliott on the other, you know, a week ago, because we were talking about the big turnover luck battle that, you know, he's a big analytical guy and he talks about the turnover luck. And my whole thing was the turnover luck, I think is just a symbol of being well-prepared enough to take advantage of the opportunities. And I think when you look back at Phil Parker and what he's accomplished, you know, throughout his Iowa career, it's pretty self-explanatory 76 interceptions since the start of the 2017 season. That's the most in the country. And for the past five years, they have recorded more interceptions than passing touchdowns allowed. So it's, it's a very senior riddled secondary. I think the linebacking plays improved. I think the big question marks for me heading into this season were the defensive line and the offensive line, which is very uncharacteristic of an Iowa team. But that's also why I bought stock into the team. I mean, I picked them to start out 6-0. I'm, I'm still kind of thinking about that pick now uh, with Penn State after what Penn State's been doing. But my whole thought process is I'm going to put stock into Kirk Ferentz and George Barnett that they know how to develop offensive linemen. I mean, in the reality, too, Iowa's got a lot of talent on the offensive line, even as far as 24-7 sports is, you know, star rankings go. So the talent's there. But can it vastly improve enough in time uh, to be able to, you know, take on a Penn State? And I think that's going to be the biggest question marks. But I do think it was a big symbol for Iowa on Friday, what they did against Maryland. I think they, you know, 
at least quieted down the crowd as far as what the offense can do. I think Spencer Petras played his best career game. I think when given a clean pocket, he showed he can make those deep throws. And I think they got the running game going a little bit. But again, Penn State's different. That's secondary. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Joey Porter. I think he's, I think he's, I, I watched a story on Big Ten Journey the other day a few weeks ago. Sounds like a tremendous kid watching his film and watching what they did against Indiana. I mean, guys, I don't want to jinx it, but six to four, part two. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. Well, I, I, you know, to your point, quarterback play, Iowa, it's crossed some check marks at this point in the season. Quarterback play here at Penn State, it's a different kind of story than when we saw these teams match up last year. There's, that's to be certain. And um, I do want to ask you, you tweeted something going into that Maryland game. You said you had seen so many picks going toward the Terps, despite Iowa being considered a top five team, that you felt like wouldn't even qualify as an upset if Maryland won. It wasn't even a close. I mean, we saw something play out 59 nothing in Maryland a couple of years ago. Yeah. What does it mean for Iowa – to come home with a win that was that emphatic and that early on clear it was going to end up that way. I think it just shows that they're able to bounce back because I mean, look, the reality is Iowa should not have struggled with Colorado state. That shouldn't, they should not have been down at half. I mean, Colorado state with all due respect, uh, you know, the, the program, Iowa is just a different caliber. It shouldn't have been that close, but I think that was also such a big growing moment for that team is, Hey, this is the first time, you know, they really trailed all season. I mean, they, they were ahead most of the time against Iowa state. The Indiana game wasn't close. Kent state really wasn't close either. So I think the way they battled back was a really, really big deal. And I think that, you know, I don't want to, you know, here's the thing. Locker rooms always say they don't like listing the outside noise. I mean, guys, you've been around the business. I mean, they're obviously going to, you know, post up the articles in the locker room. They're going to be yelling, Oh, you know, they don't think we can do this. We can't do that. And again, I was shocked about how many people picked Maryland to beat Iowa. I thought it could have been a possibility. I picked Iowa by two touchdowns because the thing about Tagovailoa was if he makes an early mistake, he has not shown the ability to bounce back. And I think you saw that sort of snowball effect uh, against that Iowa secondary. So I think it was a big deal because I think a lot of people were questioning how focused is this Iowa team going to be because they're obviously welcoming in a Penn State who, you know, going into last week, I think everybody was picking Penn State over Indiana just because Indiana is not what, you know, we thought they would be this season. So I think it's a big deal. But I mean, the reality is it pales in comparison with this weekend's going to be. I mean, I've gone on the record. I think this is the biggest game since 1985 inside Kinnick Stadium when Iowa beat Michigan uh, 12 to 10 when it was number one versus number two. And the reality is, especially for Iowa they have a pretty clean path to the Big Ten title, if not the college football playoff, if they beat Penn State, because Purdue's not where they're going to be, unless David Bell decides to single-handedly carry them past Iowa again, which he is capable of doing. Wisconsin, I mean, they're nowhere near what they need to be right now. I mean, I got crap for this the other day, guys, but this is the first year I've seen in a while where the divisions are so lopsided. I think the East is far, far more talented than the West. I mean, we're at the point where Nebraska is probably the second best team in the Big Ten West. And after Penn State, I think the Nebraska game is going to be the toughest game on Iowa's schedule. That is a sentence that was just said. Nebraska, the second best team in the West. That's yeah. that's terrifying right now. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Spencer Petrus. Uh, he's coming into his own. I don't think he's the quarterback that goes out and beats you single-handedly. You mentioned the running game's phenomenal. Um, but where's he at in his development? Where's he at on this track of of being the quarterback that wins the games versus, or excuse me, being the quarterback of the winning team versus the quarterback that wins you the game. 
You know, I think here's the thing. I think people, especially Iowa fans, have become so accustomed to blaming Petrus that even if there's other issues on the offense, it's always going to fall back on the quarterback. Sounds I mean, familiar. No clue, there, no clue with that. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. The reality is he's only inter- he's only thrown one interception in the past seven games. He's a guy who doesn't make mistakes, and you know all Iowa needs him to do, at least so far this season, just be able to put points on the board after Iowa turns. You know, Iowa gets a turnover. I think the Iowa, I think Iowa's offense is a long way to go, but I also think the yardage is still a little bit skewed just because of where Iowa's field position is at all times on the football field. I mean, they get the ball in these short yard situations and they've been able to put up points. I think they're averaging over five points per turnover. I mean, that's a ridiculous pace. So I think Petrus has shown me a lot over the past two weeks. He's nowhere near going to be a guy that's going to beat you outside the pocket. If, if, if Penn State can force him outside the pocket, he has shown a trouble resetting his feet and going through his proper mechanics, resulting in some underthrows. But the reality is he's not putting the ball in danger. And I think what we saw in his first two career starts last year, you know, granted it was a short year. He missed 35 days of summer and fall workout stuff because of contact tracing. That's never an easy situation for anybody to walk into. But when he's been given a clean pocket, especially this year, he's shown that deep ball touch. He completed four out of six against Colorado State when Iowa really decided to air it out. Last week, he really showed me some good things. And Brian Ferentz, I think, called one of his best games he's ever called as an offense coordinator against Maryland. I mean, everybody expects Iowa what? Outside zone run, outside zone run, throw on third down to open up the game. He came out and put the ball in Spencer Petrus's hand and say, hey, go make decisions, go throw the ball downfield. So, you know, it is a typical Iowa team to some degree, but I think Iowa has more skill on the perimeter than they've ever had. And I think that they're really starting to, to utilize that. And the reality is there's only one stat that really matters when it comes to starting quarterback guys. It's wins and losses. Petrus has won 11 straight games right now. Uh, and I think that with his performance last week, I mean, I think the critics have slowly quieted down. But as far as last year to this year, the command of the offense is so much better. And I think he's playing at all high confidence now will that translate over after his probably his best career game that's gonna be my biggest question mark going into this one especially against a secondary as low as penn states i do want to talk about that 11 game win streak in just a bit because there's a nine game win streak here and and there's a lot to discuss about how both programs got to this point on saturday um but i don't know david if you are on his nil marketing team yet but you have been praising tyler goodson for a long time during his career at iowa um where is he right now as a running back i know last week uh, against maryland he had a, a big play in the passing game it hasn't been a hundred yard performances week in week out i know he had a huge game on the ground against kent state but how much of a threat must penn state account for here in the backfield uh, with tyler goodson I think I think he's shown that he's a very versatile back, and that's funny about the NIL. And the reality is he's probably one of Iowa's most talented backs they've had, at least over the past decade. I think Akram Wadley is going to be in there, but I think Tyler can do a little bit more, um, especially blocking than Akram Wadley could, and his ceiling's higher. But I think the real, I think that he's been able to break the big runs this year. I mean, three of his touchdown runs have been over 35 yards. Uh, he has probably some of the quickest feet I've seen Iowa back have. I mean, it seems like Every week he puts on, you know, does a juke where it goes on Bleach Report. It goes on all this other stuff, right? It makes its way around social media. But the biggest thing that I've seen that he struggled with, I think, this season that really needs to improve, especially when yards are going to be hard to come by against a stout Penn State defense, he's got to just stop looking for the big play and he's got to just get those extra two or three yards per carry. I mean, there have been times where he bounces everything the outside. He tries to shake and bake too many people, maybe gets back the line of scrimmage, maybe gets a one-yard gain, two-yard game. But those two-yard gains should have been five or six 
hey, just hit the hole, take the contact and keep moving those feet. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that I'm looking for to see him improve on. But it's also going to be a big question mark for me is what's Iowa going to do in the backup running back spot? Ivory Kelly Martin had a huge bounce back game last week, 62 yards on, on only eight carries. But this is a guy that's fumbled it four times this season. And he's a fifth-year senior coming off a rough couple of years. So are they really going to rely on Tyler Goodson, uh, just solely Tyler Goodson against this Penn State defense that's incredibly physical and has done well this season? Or are they going to try to mix and match some of the younger guys along with Ivory Kelly Martin? So again, it's tough for me to really sit here and, you know, think about what's going to happen against that Penn state defense. Cause the reality is I think Tyler can only be as good as Iowa's O line is against that, that Penn state defensive line and against their linebackers. Because I, I think that while Goodson hasn't gotten those harder and extra yards, there have been times where a tight end misses a block. Monty Potabon, the fullback misses a block when they go the outside. So it's little things like that, that, that have also kind of held back the Iowa running game. And if you look at the, the yardage from last week, I think they only averaged slightly over three yards a carry. It's a little bit skewed because they're, you know, throwing in garbage time, throwing in younger backs and stuff. But I do think that he's going to go in there incredibly confident. And Tyler likes the big stage. I mean, this is a guy that really does play well on the big stage. So ain't going to get much bigger than Saturday night. So I'm very curious about what Iowa's game plan is, because I think Brian's going to try to scheme up some different things that we have not seen this season. David, one to 10, how great of a fullback name is Monty Potabom? I mean, that's got to be number 10, right? I mean, that's got to be a 10. I mean, it, it's it's like Iowa, the old Iowa linebacker, Pat Angerer. I mean, you don't get much better name than for a linebacker than Pat Angerer, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, that offensive line you mentioned, work in progress. Where are they at on, the, on that progress? I mean, this is, uh, uh, is this their biggest test to date? And how do you think they, they can hold up against this uh, defensive line? You know, I thought Maryland was a decent test, but I also look at who Maryland beat. So I think, again, those stats, you got to take into account who they beat. I mean, they beat West Virginia, but I'm a fan of – I throw out the first game for every team every year because that's just not going to be a symbol of who they are going to be, right? So, you know, they. I think Maryland beat Howard. I think they beat Kent State, and they beat Illinois by a field goal. And, you know, they were fifth in the country going into sacks. In sacks, Iowa only allowed two – but again, I don't know where this offensive line is at. And I know how weird that sounds, but they've been so inconsistent week in and week out. There have been series where you're thinking, okay, this, this could be the turning point for them. And then there's back-to-back sacks given up. There's back-to-back tackles for losses. And you're thinking, okay, well, what's going to happen here? But I do think a big thing for Iowa is Kyler Schott is 100% healthy for the first time this season. He was one of pro football folks' highest grade uh, offensive lineman returning heading into this season by the Big Ten con- in the Big Ten Conference, uh, fifth year senior, a little bit undersized, but incredibly physical. Pairing him alongside Tyler Linderbaum, I think, is going to really help the middle of the field. Uh, Connor Colby is a true freshman. He was a high four star by twenty four seven Sports. He's a guy who, again, inconsistent, but that ceiling's there. And when he gets on a roll, he's proven to be pretty efficient. And I, I think that the biggest weaknesses right now and the most inconsistencies, though, it's from the offensive tackles. I mean, Iowa last year at the very end of the year thought they were getting Mark Kallenberger back, who would have been a fifth-year senior, started six games, but he elected to retire from football. And then Larrick Jackson, who is now on the Los Angeles Rams. So replacing both tackles with, you know, a redshirt freshman who played defensive line in high school, but Iowa flipped him into an offensive tackle. And uh, a redshirt sophomore who was a walk-on at the time, a preferred walk-on, had a bunch of offers from FCS schools, Nick DeYoung. Decent player, again, but I think there's a limited ceiling with, with guys like that. 
So it's going to be very interesting. I think that they are getting better, but I, I'm also going to say I'm only grading this offensive line as good as their last series was. So if they if, if they show up like they did against Colorado State, and State's going to have a heyday. If they show up like they did against Maryland, I'm I'm you know I think you, Iowa at least gives himself a chance because again if Petrus has to escape the pocket, he hasn't proven me right now that he can escape the pocket and make a, and make a high caliber throw. If he's given a clean pocket. I think at least the Iowa wide receivers will have a chance downfield. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You, you get this and Sean and I understand it when even if you're covering a 5-0 team in this industry you got to be looking for the warts because people want to talk about those things and what's going to hold you back what's going to trip you up when it matters most you mentioned the offensive line where are also the warts through five weeks for this Iowa squad you know I think again I, I think it's I think it is the downfield passing I know they've made again they've made strides the past two weeks but you got to be able to be consistent about it and Spencer Petrus is like you know Spencer Petrus again with all credit to him he's won 11 straight games but I'm still not convinced that they can push the ball downfield against very talented secondaries. I think last week, Maryland, I think Maryland had the most big explosive plays allowed through the air in the big 10 conference. So again, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against a, a, a roster like Penn state and the talent that they have. I think that's a big thing. I think that they've done a good job with mobile quarterbacks this year. And I think that's partially due to the emergence of Justin Jacobs, who I think is going to be a guy who's a former all American I think he, you know, high school American, I think he's going to be a guy that has to make legitimate NFL decision by the end of the year based on what he's doing. But I think Iowa's ability to mix defenses from four, the four, two, five and the four, three, they have different guys that can do different things. Um, but I will say this, Jihad Dotson is built to be the wide receiver that can really give Iowa fits. I mean, that's Jihad Dotson is one of the reasons why Iowa switched to that four, two, five defense a couple of years ago, because of what he did in the slot. I think they had, I think Ben Neiman was still at Iowa at the time, and I think it was at Penn State, and Jihad Dotson just absolutely went off in the slot. And if you're putting Ben Neiman on Jihad Dotson, that's not I mean you're not winning that matchup. Dotson's too talented. He's too fast. He's too skilled. So I think that's why Iowa said, you know what, we got to put more speed on the field. And that's why they've done that 4 2 5. It's done well so far, but again, Dotson has the mold of a receiver that could give Iowa fits. And, you know, there's a lot of good things to take away from last week's win over Maryland. Dante Demas Jr. had a very serious injury, though, and Maryland was still was still up in that game when that happened. So I think that's something to take into account. And I think that was early in the, sec- uh, early in the second quarter when he got hurt. He had four catches for 64 yards. Those deep crossing routes, if Iowa can't jump those, I think the deep crossing out could be the Iowa's kryptonite. I really do. And they have talented safeties, but uh, you know, if, if Clifford can be composed and make the throws like he's been doing this year and avoid slipping into what he did last year, I think that's going to be my biggest key to the game because Iowa's defense is all built off of, we're not going to make mistakes. We're going to wait for you to make a mistake. And teams have been able to make mistakes so far. So I think Clifford, if he can escape the pocket, make downfield throws and look for those deep crossing routes, I think that could be a weakness. And again, like you said, the offensive line is going to be a big question mark. Downfield passing is going to be a question mark. And, uh, you know, I'll even say running the football. I still think they've shown some good things this year. They've had some big runs, 
but the down to down four to five yards of carry, they just haven't been able to get this year. I mean, I think Makai Sargent is probably one of the more missed Iowa players from last year. He was never an explosive guy, but he got you those five, six yards of carry. So there's for as many good things as there are about Iowa right now, I still think there are some question marks to, you know, taking them to that next level. Because I mean, I don't know if you guys agree with me on this. I think Alabama and Georgia are clear one two right now. Like we just talked about this. We just everybody talked about this. Else is below yeah. That. Yep. Yeah, David was not on our intro when we said the exact same <laughs> thing. So uh, just a little behind the curtain there. David, looking at the, as we transition from offense to defense here, looking at both sides of the ball, who's the one guy that Penn State has to account for? Who, who's the one guy that's going to keep popping up that Penn State fans are going to be like, not that guy again, because it's not always the best player. It's the guy that, you know, finds that seam or does something, you know, as, as closely as we cover these teams on 24 seven sports, there's always that guy. Um, So who's the guy that Penn state needs to account for on every play on offense and, and, and similarly on defense. Yeah. I think for, for defense has to be Jack Campbell. Iowa's middle linebacker. He had an 18 tackle performance two weeks ago. He's been the heart and soul of Iowa's defense this season, 43 tackles on the year. Six foot five, 240 pounds, probably one of the fastest sideline to sideline linebackers I've seen, especially at that size. Because you don't see a lot of, you know, Mike linebackers are six five, 245, but he, he can move. So I think he's a guy who has a nose for the ball. He can make big things happen. I'm also going to throw in Justin Jacobs again, just as a, just a, maybe another guy, because what he's done this year, going from barely playing to forcing fumbles to making big plays happen. He, he could be a guy that, you know, he's going to cover a Theo Johnson, who I think Iowa fans are still a little bit upset about losing. I know they are in on that. Um, and on offense, I'll say Sam Laporta, because Iowa's tight ends, I think Iowa's really starting to get some production out of their tight ends. They've had a rough couple of years from the production standpoint from them. Sam Laporta has done some good things there, but when you replace TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, it's an impossible situation to go into. But Sam Laporta has been a big target on third down. He's Iowa's leading receiver on the year. Iowa loves doing those play action bootlegs, then hitting Sam Laporta, having a second tight end, Luke Lachey, go out as a front blocker. I mean, that got them four first downs alone last week against Maryland. So I anticipate they're going to try to run something similar there. And another guy who I think is due for a huge game that hasn't had one this year, who I think is incredibly talented. I think Tyrone Tracy Jr. uh, He's probably one of Iowa's more dynamic receivers. Hasn't really had that production. He has a redshirt freshman, but as far as strength, speed and everything he he's gonna be a guy that i think i was gonna try to really get involved in the offense this upcoming week when we were out in indianapolis for for big 10 media days in late july you and i were exchanging notes a little bit about how last year started versus how last year finished it took penn state a while longer to get going we saw iowa and beaver stadium they actually handed penn state its fifth straight lost uh and and then since then penn state hasn't lost again and iowa hasn't lost again either how is how is the program got here? Because when we spoke in 2019, Penn State went out there, uh, beat Iowa. It was second straight Big Ten loss. They had just lost to Michigan, I think, ten to three. And you yeah. were very seriously talking about there are questions about whether Kirk Ferentz has peaked and then some, and if it's time to look for new leadership. Here he is. Uh, I don't know what is it year fifty for him with the Hawkeyes, <laughs> and and they're number three in the country. How did it get here? You know, I, I really think it all stems back to what Iowa went through last year with the racial disparity allegations in 2020. I think that the, the culture has changed from all accounts from what I've heard from the players, what I've heard behind the scenes. I think players, you know, Iowa players weren't allowed to use Twitter until last year. 
um, when everything really started opening up. So they started using that. The players have a voice. They have a leadership council. They get the young guys involved in the leadership council. They've done all these different things behind the scenes. And these guys are just genuinely love playing with one another. And they have a genuine deep bond. And I think I said this at the time too, and I, I think it really sticks more at home with me and Iowa fans now because of this. So I said going into that Michigan State game last year, it was fresh off the back-to-back losses. I said this is the most important game of Kirk Ferentz's college, you know, Iowa career. Because if they start out 0-3, I think the, everything goes completely off the rails, especially after everything that, you know, that the team went through from a national standpoint going into that. They came out and absolutely boat raced Michigan State. And I think once that burden was kind of lifted off the team, they remembered what that feeling was like. I think that combined with, I mean, I'll say this too. I've asked players about this. COVID brought teams closer together because they were so isolated from, you know, the rest of society at that time. And I think that's really played a big part in it as well. They had nothing to do but focus on football, watch film and, you know, Netflix and nap. I mean, I don't know what else those guys are really allowed to do. So I think from the top down leadership wise, I think that there's been a big change as far as just a culture of the program goes. And I think that stemmed over the football field. I mean, I don't think it can be overstated about the better players get along off the field. It is going to translate on the field. And I mean, I've seen times this year where a guy will make a big play. Yeah. He's excited about it. His teammates are more excited about it in the, in the moment and after the game than the player it's him, like himself is. And I do think that that has translated in a big way. And, you know, I think you have to give the coaching staff a lot of credit too, because when that whole thing went down, they only lost the commitment of one kid at the time. And he ended up going a different route, um, a different level of football. So I really do think Kirk Ferentz, not that he was downward trending and whatever. I think before last year, he had the most wins in a five-year span in Iowa history, which was 47. But, you know, I don't think, I don't want to say he was lacking. There was lacking a fire there, but everything is just ramped up. I think from the top down, I think he got rejuvenated. I mean, I told you guys this, I think off the record too, that before this whole thing happened, I thought he would retire by the end of next year before that whole thing went down. I think Kirk's going to stay for another three or four, maybe even five years now. I think he's really trying to, you know, quote unquote, repair his legacy. I mean, Iowa fans don't think he has a legacy to repair, but there's still that national standpoint based on everything that happened. He's recruiting at a better rate, which, I mean, look, they say it doesn't translate over to wins, but I mean, guys, the stats don't lie. So I I think from all accounts, I think it's just been the big shift in the culture change and the players embracing it. And I do think that that's translated uh, over the field because also 10 of their 11 wins have been by double digits. The only team that's been in single digits within them is the Nebraska game when Iowa won 26 to 20. Reiterating just how long Kirk Ferentz has been the head coach at Iowa and how rare this matchup is. He's been the head coach for the Hawkeyes since 1999. And during that entire tenure, there has never been a top five matchup in the Big Ten without Ohio State once again. So this is a huge game uh, for a guy who's been the head coach since 1999 to say this is one of the one of the bigger games of his career speaks volumes. Yeah. Sounds like a couple programs that have been galvanized by what they went through in 2020, certainly different circumstances, but yeah. it's early in the week. We both have a lot to learn about this matchup, and I'm not expecting you to come on our podcast to pick against Iowa, but where's your head at on this matchup, and how does Iowa make sure it stays unbeaten, and how does – Iowa end up coming off the tracks and sending Penn State, Penn State back with a win. Penn State, by the way, three straight wins in Connect Stadium. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I've gone back and forth on this. I picked Iowa in the preseason. I thought Penn State would be good. I, I didn't think they'd be unbeaten at this point. 
but I mean, I thought maybe they would have dropped one, but I think the, I think the biggest thing that Iowa needs to do is, you know, I know Penn state's running game hasn't been there this year. Uh, Noah Kane, by the way, I'm not sure what's Noah Kane status for the, I mean, he's not hundred percent right now. Correct. He doesn't look it, but he's out there. He's, he's involved. Yeah. yeah. He started each game and he was out there in the fourth quarter last week. So he's part of the plan. He's part of the plan. Yeah. That's for sure. He, he's a guy that I really think is, I mean, not a lot of people agree with me on this. I think he's a guy that really could give Iowa a lot of fits. I mean, I think a couple of years ago, the last win, their last win inside Kinnick Stadium, Noah Kane picked up those crucial first downs late in the game. I think it's because Iowa's defense was so physically worn out and Noah Kane's a, he's not, he's not an easy guy to tackle. Um, so I think, you know, if he can really get going, I think that'll be a big thing. I know Penn State's doing the running back by committee sort of thing. I think Iowa, what they need to do is make Penn State a one-dimensional offense. If they can keep Clifford in the pocket and force him to make decisions, based on the, what Iowa's doing right now, I'm picking Iowa secondary to win that matchup because they've been so meticulous about their film study. They've taken advantage of the opportunities. And, uh, you know, again, I think mobile quarterbacks have hurt Iowa in the past, which is why I'm very interested to see what Iowa's defense is going to scheme up because – do you keep a quarterback spy or do you throw another guy to keep eyes on Jahad Dotson, who, again, I think could absolutely go insane against this Iowa defense. And I don't say that lightly because I don't think a lot of receivers are capable of doing that. Um, so I think that's going to be the biggest key for Iowa. And I think on the flip side uh, for Penn State, I think it's just, uh, you know, the win the battle of the trenches. I think you got you can't give Spencer Petras a clean pocket. I think that if Penn State can physically own the time of possession, if they can physically wear down Iowa and if Noah Kane can really get going, Again, I really think Noah Kane could be the X factor for Penn State in this game. I, I, I love the way he runs the football. He's tough. He's physical. And not that this, this Iowa team won't quit, but he's just a different caliber of back. When you traditionally look at the backs who have given Iowa trouble, Noah Kane does fit that mold. I don't care what his stats say for heading into this game. Uh, he, he could be a guy to watch for, for sure. So Iowa keeping the pocket clean, Penn State wearing them down. And uh, we'll see. And, I mean, like I said, I know you're not going to make me pick. I, I, I don't know who's going to win this game. I really don't. I think it has the potential to be the Big Ten game of the year, without a doubt. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. I'm sorry I won't be joining you, um, but I got to stay close to the hospital around here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Choosing yeah. family over Penn State football. Come on. Yeah. That's just your firstborn. How many of those can there be? You know? <laughs> don't let me serve that as a lesson. And by the way, David, congratulations on the contract extension with CBS and with 24-7 Sports. Really happy to be uh, con- you know, a colleague here in the years moving forward with you. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's good to be working alongside you guys. You guys do a tremendous job and uh, we'll keep this thing rolling. We'll talk to you soon. I'm sure throughout game week, we going back and forth a little bit about our respective squad. So take care, man. Hey, take care, guys. Thank you.